There are an estimated 50,000 Latinas living with HIV in the United States today. In 2020, there were 5,450 new HIV infections in women. Confessions is a podcast that follows the lives of six women who share their journeys. The women in this podcast courageously share their stories and the pain they've endured, raising awareness and breaking down barriers. Their voices are powerful and necessary in promoting empathy. Let's listen and learn from their experiences. When I was born, my dad wanted a boy so he could, you know, do stuff <laughs> because his first child uh, was a girl, my sister. I can clearly remember how he cut my hair short and I grew up with boys. My aunt would li- uh, lived with us for some time and her she had three boys and we were all around the same age. I was part of the boys <laughs> and um yeah it it's interesting because i really liked it i i liked um uh just playing outside i love to play basketball and uh, hide and seek i can see how it was different with uh girls so i i i can say that i thought i was a boy <laughs> On the flip side, there's a lot of violence and abuse growing up, which was hard. Both my parents abused alcohol, and I would say that would be the hardest memories that I have. Just taking care of my mom was hard, and she, to this day, she still struggles with that. I just try to support her because, I mean, she's such a strong person. I really get bothered when people talk about uh, people and their addiction. And my mom, I think if she had one wish, is to just take away this addiction away from her. Because she's such a lovely person. She cares about everyone. It's just so horrible to see her in that state of mind for so long. And still struggle with. And my dad... Um, he was such a just great provider. He was an investor. Um, his first language is Spanish. And uh, he was a janitor. And he learned how to just listen in to other people's business ideas. And he learned how to buy and sell properties. And I felt like that's why I had a comfortable upbringing. Yes and no. Uh, we had a house didn't have to live in an apartment. I, now that I do an apartment, I know what that looks like and how that feels. And now I know why my dad worked so hard for us to have not possessions, but a space for our family. However, he was absent. <laughs> he was, wasn't really there. So that that's difficult because I, I love my parents. But it's tough to deal with a parent that is battling addiction and another parent that is avoiding it and just not there. So that's difficult. It's one of those things that when I talk about it now, I say, oh, it made me the person I am now. I never understood 
um, how when people would say, well, that tragedy made me a better person. And now I understand that that process makes you highlight in your mind, in your heart, how strong you are. So I now I, I can understand that. And especially when I speak to other women and their stories, I can see, I could hear and feel the strength. So I, I guess I want to say I inspire to help others, but because they genuinely help me. I was born in Los Angeles, South LA to be exact. I went to elementary in that area and middle school. I didn't graduate from middle school because I was on and off. I have some instability. I don't like to use hate, but I dislike school. I had horrible teachers and I never I know I'm using infinite words. I just didn't want to go to school, but it was a place of escape. So, I mean, the best part was what, recess? The best teacher I ever had was my elementary school. She really looked out for me. I think she knew more than, she really, I guess, saw my pain sometimes and would always choose me to be a leader, choose me to be part of events. And I, I always carry that with me. On the flip side, I do remember horrible teachers doing horrible things to me. Now I could say that I, I was scarred by a teacher calling me names. To this day, that's the one thing it will hurt me. And because some girl next to me said that I hurt her, like I accidentally hurt her foot with my chair. And she's like, I've had it with you. The picture she took, she ripped it apart in front of me and demanded the stupid pencil that they give you. She's like, I want it back. So I felt like not only I'm nobody at my house, but at school, like I'm dumb. Like I'm nobody. As an adult, I'm, I'm, I'm diagnosed with ADHD. And I know a lot of people talk about that, and I didn't know what exactly what that was. But now I know why I don't like school. Now I know how to manage and appreciate all my abilities. At the same time, I didn't understand why it was so difficult for me and how my parents didn't know that, or anyone around me. In order to have a good job, survive in this world, you have to be good at reading, good at so many things. And I just have to say that I always talk myself through a lot of things. And that's how I learned and survived. <laughs> Both of my parents are from Guatemala. I'm so proud of my mom. She's a florist. She's a floral designer for many years. So my dad, he's just an amazing person because he just wanted to come to the U.S. so bad. He just put himself out there, kind of like what how I do it now. <laughs> I think I learned from just watching him just put himself out there, even though maybe his English is not clear, or maybe he feels like he's very confident, like he just does it. And I, I, I really like that about my dad. 
He wrote a petition himself. He did that, and then he was able to enter the U.S. legally, and then brought my mom, and then uh, became a citizen. But my dad is very driven by money. It was just crazy. Like I have so many highs and so many lows. My dad, his biggest dream is to always go follow the World Cups, and he's been to all of them. He was, he's been to France, Italy, of course Germany. He took us to Italy too, and it was just like a good experience. I love my dad, how he's so driven, nothing stops him. My mom in Guatemala, based on what they say, is like, oh, you know, I'm from a poor pueblo. My dad grew up in a property, more like in the city. So my mom, she's like also a very driven person. She's like, I don't want to wash clothes. I don't want to just make tortillas. So she got a job with a, a flower shop. And little by little, she learned how to make floor arrangements. She had a difficult job position, but because she loved what she did, her art, she enjoyed it. So it is true when you enjoy your job, you don't have a job. You just do what you love. To this day, like any event is like, oh, can you do an arrangement? And she just has done so much. We had our own business at one point. I didn't know anything about business, so that failed. Uh, <laughs> my partner, my, my boyfriend, because we weren't married at the time, we have a son together. At the time, he was probably three or four. I don't remember. This is when things get fuzzy with my memory. That's when I wanted to start my business. I started my business in 2008 or nine. I don't remember, but around that time. And I had a job, and I said, well, I had a great relationship with my dad, and I want my son to have the same. So it didn't make sense for me to pay someone to take care of my son. I just preferred him building a relationship with his dad. And so I had a 24-hour job. Like, I had a business. I had my regular job. I was a receptionist for a company. After that, I would go to the flower shop and help my mom. It was an adventure for sure, a learning process as well. But among all that, when I was doing my very best to establish something strong for my family, behind my back, he was cheating. So I thought that when he said, I love you forever, that's what I took it for. And I never thought he would ever betray me in that way especially because I'm doing everything I can to just have this life, not to feel rich or anything, but be financially stable where I can also enjoy and travel with my, with my family. So after that, we tried to stay together. I was so busy, and I'm, I believe in God. I don't go to church or anything, but... I grew up believing God because God never has never left me. God always shows you the way, and he put things in front of me. I was just not willing to see. And I think a few people told me how they saw how he is. Just I guess I just believed his words and not his actions. 
one day I, I woke up. My sister said that she was trying to call me, but my phone was disconnected because I didn't pay for it. And his was connected. So he had woken up and he just handed over his phone. And that's when I saw how he was talking to other people. I was so driven by this dream of having a husband, a house, being married, all this idea of being married. <laughs> I got home early and I just just found more things that I did not want to see. And I just feel like God was just telling me, I'm like, if you don't realize it, I'm going to show you. <laughs> One day I went out with my friend. I got completely drunk. I don't even know how I got home and I don't remember what happened. So I don't know if I had sex. I've only been with one person. So for so long, I'm like, oh. So I went to the clinic, one of those free clinics, to get an, an STD check. I would always get routine checks before. And this time, because of that, I, I, I went. Ugh, I felt so horrible. One for not remembering or just being driven by how I felt and my condition, my mental condition at that moment. It's almost like nothing mattered and that's hard for me to say because I had my son. It, it was painful to come to terms of what had happened. A few days later, I received a phone call like that I needed to go to the doctor right away and, and they had to talk to me and I was like, like, oh, I guess this is serious. I did this to myself. I went out, got drunk, and then slept with a random person and only God knows what happened because I don't remember so much about that night. I get there. I don't know why, but that doctor looks more scared than I was. I remember that I had gone hiking that day and when I got home, I got that phone call. They said, uh, we have received your results and we need you to go to this other clinic. I didn't ask questions because I was so scared. They gave me the address and when I got there, I just knew it was bad. So when I met with the doctor, she asked me right away why I took the test and I told her the same story, how I had a one night stand I could just see her face. She just looked down. She seemed very hurt. I could see in her eyes that she didn't want to give me my, my diagnosis. She said that, that I had tested positive for HIV. I was in disbelief. She took out the paper and she put it in front of me and she showed me how the levels of the viral load, it looked like that if it has been there for more time. I, it was so confusing, beyond confusing. I just, probably the biggest betrayal of my life. I, I didn't want to see him. It was just so tough for me. No one could console me. And it's like, I can't tell my mom. She suffers from chronic depression. And it's like, I can't tell my sister. Which I love dearly. She is my best friend. Um, 
And I kept this to myself for a very long time. In regards to HIV medication, I had no idea what the virus was. All I know is that people died if they had HIV. I went back to the clinic and I, I, I met what she is now my mentor. <laughs> and that's where, where the pivotal moment, I would say, for my life. She kept telling me that there's a meeting, there's like a group. And I was like, I don't want to talk to, with all due respect to you or anybody about this. Time after time, until one day, she's like, I'm waiting for you, we're in the group. And I was like, I haven't even showered. He's like, go ahead and shower. We're going to wait for you. I was like, wait, what? I'm, like, none of my excuses was working. <laughs> I'm late. I can't make it. Like, finally, I made it to one of those meetings. And that's when I met the group, which is, we're four years strong now. <laughs> uh, at that moment, even though they had reassured me I was going to be okay, I was in disbelief still. It didn't matter to me. And then I met one of the group members, and she's like, oh, I've been positive for 15 years. The other one's 30 years. And I, and I was like, what? You all look fine, and you're okay. And they said it like nothing. And that's when I realized I'm like, I'm, really, I'm truly not alone. I'm truly going to be okay. So um, I could honestly say that was... The turning point for me was like, I'm so glad she dragged me to that meeting. <laughs> they helped me to go back to school. I received my AA in psychology in the year 2020, when the, in the middle of the pandemic. And then I received over $5,000 in scholarships with my good grades. I just hope that I could instill that within my kids and not scare them how I was scared. That it's okay, you don't have to meet these lines that people drew, uh, these standards, because it all falls in place. And because if they feel comfortable with information, they will thrive. It took me a while to understand what learning looked like so I could have the ability to understand that I am gonna be okay. So when they would talk about how advanced the medications are and how when I hear women say back then I used to drink like 16 pills and how they would make them sick and I just started with one pill just it really put everything in perspective the medical advancements and the the medications actually has given me hope that I'm gonna be okay after years of being positive, I I told my sister, she's the only one that knows from my family. And I'm here to say, whoever's listening to this, um, you will be okay. Might not make sense right now, but it will. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow us. This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Family AIDS Network in collaboration with The Women Together and produced by Mejia.tv.